Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Baseball is back. And so is MLB.tv. Watch every out-of-market, regular season game on your favorite streaming devices. Anywhere, anytime, all season long. Follow the action live or on demand. Track four games at once with multi-view mode. And catch up with in-game highlights. Plus, original programs, minor league broadcasts, and local pre- and post-game shows. Go to MLB.tv to start your free trial today. Blackout and other restrictions apply. Major League Baseball trademarks used with permission. It's blinding rain in Detroit. Liam wants a new baseball, and he just fired that one about a 1,000 miles an hour. Ethan Katz is like, what are we doing here? I slipped on one of the warm-up pitches, um, and then every bowl I was getting was actually wet. Like uh, the umpire's bag was wet. So it's like every ball he was putting in there was just immediately getting wet. So there was no opportunity, even if I covered it with my glove and did whatever I needed to do to keep it away from the rain. There was just no, there was no uh, getting around the actual wet balls. And that was what I, what I told him. Like, look, every ball I'm getting is wet. And they mentioned to me, like the ground screw told them it's a, it's a, it's a passing thing. If we can get through, if we can get through a little bit, it should be clearing up right about like in a couple minutes. And I completely understood where they're coming from. Obviously it's, um, it, they're trying to get this game back, uh, get this game over with, but it was to the point where I didn't have any clue. The ball slipping out of my hands. I, I had no idea where anything was going, and uh, that's just not that's not safe for anybody. If you were watching the game, as I was, Liam Hendricks was not going to last that batter. He would be thrown out of the game or be pulled out of the game by his manager. He did not like the weather report. And a few minutes, he was right, turned out to be 49 minutes. That was the rain delay. And when he came back, he gave up a two-run homer. He blew the save. And then Aaron Bummer comes in and gets the win because Danny Mendick just keeps running and running and running. And it's a remarkable thing. The White Sox keep doing this. They are in first place. We're going to talk some White Sox now on the score. Steve Rosenblum here. Rick Camp over there, he is in for Mark Grody, and we welcome back to the show Josh Nelson of Sox Machine. Josh, when when you saw the ninth inning and then the tenth inning, what exactly were you thinking? <laughs> uh, you know, <laughs> that's a great question. It was raining so hard. I don't even, like, he threw the first pitch, and I started thinking, what are we doing here? Because I don't think there's any way he's going to have any control of the ball on any of his pitches. So if he can throw a strike, I don't know what Miguel Cabrera is going to be able to do at the plate. Uh, Cause if he hits a ground ball, he's already slower than the last is today. You want him to run out of the box in a wet infield and some infielder has to pick up a wet ball and make it to load a first. It, it was not an ideal condition. So I understand what the umpires were trying to do thinking, all right, the groundskeeper told us we can get through this bottom half of the inning Let's play quickly, boys. And then after one pitch, it's like, oh, the groundskeeper was way wrong. Let's pull out the tarp. Uh, and the only part I'm surprised, Steve, is Larusa still had Hendricks pitch. That was a long delay 
Mm-hmm. And you wouldn't do that with a starting pitcher. Uh, if that was still Lucas Giolito after a 49-minute delay, you wouldn't have Giolito pitch. And I get you don't want to burn Hendricks after a single pitch, uh, but I think that's a lesson learned here that, you know, Liam Hendricks is not indestructible. You know, if he gets hot and he's ready to go, and then all of a sudden because of Mother Nature he needs to be shut down, it's probably best just to shut him down. And then during that delay, if you can get another reliever warmed up, maybe Jose Ruiz or back to Aaron Bummer. Yeah, it sucks that Hendricks gets burned after a pitch, but he his velocity was a bit off uh, when he did throw. Obviously, you mentioned he gave up the two-run homer. So it was a very weird situation last night. And, you know, sometimes it's, to, it's better to be lucky than good. And uh, the White Sox were lucky to come away with the win. Josh, how surprising is it that we found a situation where the closer's not going to be blamed for blowing the game and somewhere Matt Thornton is either nodding or shaking his head because we know that that was just the Matt Thornton special. In, yep. a, in a related note, Chris Ranji hosted last night from 7 to 10. Well, that, well, now there you go. Now it all makes sense. So it's nobody's fault but Chris Ranji's. The world is back to normal. We have fully healed. Thank you, Rick. Uh, <laughs> no, you know, every that was a bit... pitch. Every strike John threw, they erupted. They were absolutely amazing. Right. Uh, you can't beat it. <laughs> oh, but you know, Aaron Bummer, it was a little shaky last night, but I, I'm happy for him that he found a way to get it done in the 10th inning. Uh, it's remarkable on how poorly he's doing against the very first batter he faces. Uh, when they mentioned on the TV broadcast, they didn't know it was that bad. You know, leadoff hitters got an on-base percentage above 440. So 44% of the time, that leadoff guy is reaching base, whether by walk or base hit. That's not what you want out of your setup guy or a high-leverage reliever. But he did find a way to get the job done, so that is good. But it's been a, a bit shaky this season for Aaron Bummer. Yeah, well, 100% of the time he's reaching when when it's the 10th inning. So you so you already did Aaron Bummer's work for him. You put the guy on second base, but he managed and with with Danny Mendick's fielding ability and he this brings up a a important point for the White Sox to consider at this moment. Danny Mendick is is hitting sliding. That was an outstanding slide to score the run in the in the 10th yep. inning. Then he makes a defensive play up the middle off, off Scope, who is just... Scope is like Joe Randa reincarnated. He's just a Sox killer almost at that level of hell. Ryan Rayburn. Yep. Yeah, that's, yeah, especially in that ballpark, Ryan Rayburn. So, so Danny Mendick filling in now, and it's always short-term, and Chuck Tanner used to say, yeah, the ball will find you, or the major leagues will fill you, will figure you out. This is a guy replacing Nick Madrigal, who is five weeks away from even knowing if he's five weeks away. I mean, he could be longer than that. It could be done for the season. Right. And Adam Frazier's out there, and he will cost a lot, and there goes a lot of your trade equity. If Danny Mendick gets the chance and does the job, he makes the White Sox not just stronger, but it makes their trade equity, their trade pieces even better for what they can what they can then narrow down. This is an a an important guy for this team. Is there any way that you you can look at you can you can look through the prism of what he's done and say 
this is going to be okay or not? Or what are your fears and what are your hopes? Sure. So I'll speak to Danny Mendick uh, as the player first. Danny Mendick is a survivor. The, the White Sox selected him in the 20th round, I believe. And it's not, they didn't really think highly of him uh, because whenever he was in low A, if the Charlotte Knights had only 24 guys active, they would tell Danny, put on a Charlotte Knights uniform, make your way to Charlotte. Uh, or if Winston-Salem <laughs> needed a guy, uh, put a uniform on for Winston-Salem and go to Winston-Salem, Danny. You know, he, and he was willing to do it. He, he was a soldier. He just followed orders. And as time progressed, the White Sox became more impressed with him because he just kept performing, even though uh, he's bouncing around levels. And he finally gets to Chicago, and his first cup of coffee a couple years ago, the dude hits above 300, and he flexes some power. And it does bring to mind of, hey, maybe this guy can be a bench player. We don't think he's going to be an everyday starter, but he can make a 25- or 26-man roster team. And now he's getting this opportunity that I don't think he or the White Sox would have ever expected for him to be the everyday second baseman. And yesterday, I think we saw the best of Danny Mendick because it is the little things with him. He is a good fielder. He's not going to embarrass you defensively. He is an above-average base runner. He has a little speed to him that a deep fly ball to center field, he can tag and get to himself to third and then another sack fly, and he's got good sliding ability. As you mentioned, Steve, he scores the game-winning run, and then he makes the game-winning play up the middle on Jonathan Scope. He can do those things. The question is, can he do that every single day? And I think we're going to get that answer over the next month with Danny Mendick as he gets a little bit of a longer ride. For the White Sox, specifically for Rick Hahn, you have now lost three position players, and Nick Madrigal, Luis Robert, and Aloy Jimenez. I think they need to figure out the, the question that they need to answer is how do we replace the offensive production that Nick Madrigal leaves behind? Because if you try to replace the offensive production that Luis Robert and Aloy Jimenez left behind, I've got bad news. You don't have enough trade assets to get that type of impact player. But you may have enough to replace Nick Madrigal's offensive ability. And if you don't care about what position that offensive player uh, is in the trade market, then you can be creative. You can go get another outfielder. It doesn't necessarily have to be a second baseman. But you need a star another starting caliber player to help you get through and win the American League Central and, and help you in the postseason because we just don't know what shape Aloy Jimenez and Luis Robert are going to be when they return, Steve. And it doesn't sound hopeful with Nick Magical returning this season. So Danny Mendig is a great story. He's going to get a stretch of playing time here. Let's see how he develops. But I would not sit back if I'm the White Sox front office. I would be doing my due diligence right now, looking at the trade market, see which players are actually available based on our trade assets. And I would go make a move sometime around the All-Star break, which is mid-July, because that will give you enough time to figure out how well your internal options are doing. Josh, just to now you mentioned the flexibility and position of where you can go to maybe get that upgrade. Just to be clear, I've seen it mostly just from, you know, Sox fans trying to figure out what options there could be. Third base is not one of them with the thought being shift Mancata back to second, correct? We're just looking middle infielder or outfielder, more likely than not. That's correct. Yeah, you we're not moving no one should be moving Yohan Akata off third base. I think he's playing a gold glove caliber third base this year. 
He's far more comfortable playing that position than second base. Don't move Makata off of third. You, a player that came to mind uh, that's starting to grow on me is Estrubal Cabrera. And the reason I mentioned Cabrera is in a pinch, he can play second base, he can play third base, he could also play shortstop if Tim Anderson has another hamstring injury. And Cabrera was quite valuable to the 2019 Washington Nationals as they made their way and winning the World Series. He's really cheap. He only signed a $1.75 million contract this year. Arizona is going nowhere. He is a veteran. He's used to getting traded midseason. This is nothing new for him. And because he is on the older side, you don't have to give up any of your valuable prospects. And he, he's still hitting despite his age. I give Cabrera a lot of credit. He is still a productive major leaguer. So that could be an example of just another utility player that has experience starting in multiple positions and especially has postseason experience as well because that's going to be something that Rick Hahn will have to be searching for because uh, he still has a team that doesn't have a ton of postseason experience. We're talking with Josh Nelson of Sox Machine. You can read him at, uh, you can you follow him on Twitter at, at Sox Machine underscore Josh. He had tweeted out a note about the White Sox lineup today that uh, Tony La Russa <laughs> is turning up the degree of difficulty for Dylan Cease. And so, not to be a lineup easter, but this is worth discussing because this involves several fascinating points. Here's your White Sox lineup. <clears throat> Anderson at short, leading off. Ryan Christopher Goodwin with a career 317 OPS, batting second and playing center field. Yasmani Grandal is catching, batting third. Abreu playing first base, he's batting fourth. Yermin Mercedes, the DH, batting fifth. Eaton in right field, batting sixth. Jake Lamb in left field. Leuri Garcia at third, no Yoan Moncada. And Danny Mendick at second, Dylan Cease starting. So you can start at the top with Brian Goodwin, or you can start at the bottom with Leury Garcia at third base. He can play all over, and if he can play second base, if Mendick can't, then maybe Brian Goodwin will be the star that you've been waiting for, and he will blossom <laughs> like like Mercedes or like uh, Patrick Wisdom, or you just keep finding these guys and they just keep showing up. Start wherever you like, Josh, but what do you make of this? Well, Dylan Cease has faced the Detroit Tigers seven times, and Dylan Cease is 7-0 and against the Detroit Tigers. I am nicknaming him the Tiger Tamer. Mm-hmm. And the reason I bring up the degree of difficulty is because the White Sox are sitting multiple starters today. And uh, it is with an angle for La Russa, one, to get guys more at bat, especially the lefties facing Jose Arena. Arena has pitched really well against the White Sox, so I can't blame Larusa's thinking here of, i got to put in all of my left-handed bats today in the lineup uh, so we can generate some offense and help Dylan Cease. But the point is, is that the, the quality of left-handed bats the White Sox have is not great. Uh, we'll see, and I say this, and now they're going to score 12 runs today. Uh, so that, that, that's why I say this is a, a bit of a turning up the the degree of difficulty because, you know, not having Yohan Makata in the lineup is a, is a blow for any White Sox starting pitcher because he has been performing well. And uh, we'll see. But, you know, with Brian Goodwin, this is going to be our, our first taste. Goodwin was really good for the Angels uh, a few years ago. And I think that's part of the magic 
that the White Sox are hoping to get because he had this blend of power and speed that he was demonstrating. I think it's a bit aggressive to have him bat second. Maybe I would have Jake Lamb bat second behind Tim Anderson because Lamb has been hitting well. Uh, but I think LaRusse's thought process here is that if Anderson gets on base and a good one can get a base hit, well, then Grandal and Abreu, you got a lot of speed on the bases. And maybe we, get, we maybe the White Sox have to be creative today and let Anderson and Goodwin uh, try to steal bases in front of Grandal, who watches a ton of pitches. So I, I could see where the thought process is. It's just a matter of getting Goodwin on base, which has been a difficulty for him because there's a reason why he was playing so many games for Charlotte. And the reason, there's a reason why the Pittsburgh Pirates cut him because uh, that's been his biggest difficulty is just consistently get on base. So that's going to be something to, to watch here because Goodwin's going to get an opportunity with the White Sox. He's got to take advantage of it because if he gets cut by the White Sox, I, I don't know where he's going to go. Josh, last thing I have for you uh, is how is Tony Larusa going to be punished for breaking the unwritten rules by using a Sunday lineup on Saturday? <laughs> <laughs> well, the way that things are going for Larusa this year, like I mentioned, the White Sox are going to win twelve to one. I mean, that's what's going to happen. Uh, <laughs> I, I don't know what a, a fitting punishment would be using a Sunday lineup for Saturday. Uh, Spike well, his oatmeal. We'll see. <laughs> Thank you, <Daniel. laughs> nice. oh, yeah. luck. <laughs> All right. Well, you know what? I will say this. LaRusse's White Sox and what has happened when you see Danny Mendick doing what he's doing. LaRusse's White Sox look a lot like LaRusse's Cardinals, where mm. the, the Randall Gritchick you never heard of, and all of a sudden he's contributing. Andrew right. Vaughn, you know what, if, if the, the Schumacher guy, Skip Schumacher, you could sit next to Danny Mendick. And Andrew Vaughn, you could sit next to Randall Gritchick. I mean, Tony Russo won a World Series with Adam Wainwright as a rookie pitcher. So this stuff keeps happening. And I think you're right, Josh. I think um, that that Leury Garcia and, um, and this Goodwin character, I think they have play key roles in a 12-to-1 win. And you miss the gimme. You miss the tap and putt. Dylan Cease is the Tiger King. Yeah. So. Yeah, he he owns Detroit, and I expect Dylan Cease to have a very good day again. Uh, no matter what you think of him, as far as consistency wise, uh, if you are what the cool kids say a Dylan Cease stan, uh, you're to be. I think you're to be very happy today because he just seems to be in command of all of his pitch arsenal. He always has a good game plan against Detroit. Everything seems to click for him. So I expect a really good game from Dylan Cease. He just may not get a ton of run support, uh, but this is a good test for him because his next start is going to be against the Houston Astros, and that is not going to be an easy going for Dylan Cease. And the White Sox may struggle to provide a lot of run support in that next start for Dylan Cease. So here you go, Cease. Can you win if you only get two or three runs of support? We'll find out today. Yes, we will. Thanks, Josh. We appreciate. Th- thanks for joining us. We appreciate it. No problem. You guys have a great weekend. All right, you too. That's uh, Josh Nelson. Read him at Sox Machine. Follow him on Twitter at Sox Machine underscore Josh. We'll take a break. We come back. Rick Camp is here. <clears throat> Place of Mark Grody. Grody made too much sense last week, and we have a texture thinking 
Rick, now you make too much sense, and what are you doing on Saturday suckage? But I have a couple Bulls questions for you. So we will do that before we get to Patrick Finley of the Sun-Times and talk some Bears before this hour is up. So you're, you're girding yourself for the for the, the Bulls question, Rick? I can't wait. Liar, liar, pants on fire. Maybe. He's Rick, he's Rick Camp. <laughs> Cheap shots as they want to be. If it, now that fits Saturday Suckage. Chicago Sports Radio, 670 The Score. Stop, Bulls. Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Selling a little or a lot. Shopify helps you do your thing. However you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is here to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell everywhere. From their all-in-one e-commerce platform to their in-person POS system. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify has got you covered. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 15% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. And sell more with less effort thanks to Shopify Magic, your AI-powered all-star. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S. And Shopify is the global force behind Allbirds, Rothy's, and Brooklinen, and millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across 175 countries. Plus, Shopify's award-winning 24-7 help is there to support your success every step of the way. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash odyssey podcast all lowercase go to shopify.com slash odyssey podcast now to grow your business no matter what stage you're in shopify.com slash odyssey podcast the pulse the pulse welcome back saturday suckage rick camp is in for mark grody rick camp you hear him in so many different places most of them unwanted but we do want him on the Bulls post game show. He's the host of the Bulls post game show. He's also the one of the co-founder and co-eaters on the I'm Fat podcast, which we will discuss next hour. And the Bulls are sort of in the news now, even though they don't really matter because it's playoff time. But Rick, Kobe White, we got news. Kobe White has a torn labrum. We're hoping he'll be ready for spring training. I don't know what torn labrum and it happens Several players are having surgery for that. Kobe White will be out, the non-point guard, point guard for the Bulls. So now there's a rumor out of Boston about the Bulls potentially being interested in Kemba Walker. And by the way, it's possible Derrick Rose could be, well, does he have an interest? If you were trying to solve this thing, what would you do? I don't think there are any great options out there. I think the Kemba Walker thing is Boston media and Boston fans trying to make fetch happen. 
because I don't know. I do not know that there's a trade out there that makes sense for Kemba Walker. His knee is so balky at this point that he's missed so much time when he's on the court. He's good, but he has missed so much time the last two years. And with the, the money left on that contract, I, I would really dislike that if the, if the bulls made that kind of move. And the thing that's tough is by making the trades, the bulls did at the deadline, like our tourist Carter Chauvis and Mark Eversley really gave themselves a small needle to thread because you have Zach Levine and Nikola Vucevic and Vuce is already in his thirties. Mind you, his game is probably going to age pretty well, but he's only got the, the time left on his deal, which is a value at this point in time. You're probably going to have to commit to Zach Levine this off season. And honestly, if they wanted to make a big upgrade, whether it was at the point guard position or somewhere else, Kobe white was probably going to be that main trade piece. And there's no way that happens now with him not being back until probably right before the season at the earliest with this being a four to six month recovery period. I think it's, it's really tough. I think where they're going to have to do what they're going to have to do is look at their options in free agency. And there are not great options out there. Kyle Lowry is not going to come here. Chris Paul is not going to come here. Those guys are clearly towards the end of their careers and want to win. Chris Paul coming here would not give a Phoenix type boost because the Bulls roster is not that good as of yet. You look at all the pieces that Phoenix has right now, and man, they're a fun team to watch. It's not just Devin Booker, but it's also Mikhail Bridges and DeAndre Ayton and Cam Johnson and campaign. Apparently that's fun. That's interesting, (laughs) which by the way, if there's ever a bigger sign of how much can confidence truly help an athlete, like campaign is 100% that because his skills have gotten a little bit better, but I don't know how markedly better he is. It's just, he's around better talent and trusts himself. And he's playing a, a heck of a lot better. He's a true rotation piece on a team. That's going to go to the Western conference finals, which is insane. But I, I really think it's probably options like, like Derek Rose. It's probably options like maybe a Dennis Schroeder if he ends up leaving the Lakers, but that's probably going to be 20 plus million a year. Maybe it is, you know, what everybody's been thinking about for, it feels like forever now of a sign and trade involving uh, Lonzo Ball. I don't know that, that I'm not as big of a fan of the fit with Lonzo Ball, especially for the money that's going to command. The thing is, it's, there's not great options out there. This is without all the free agents, the prime free agents and what was supposed to be a great class, either re-signing or getting traded. This free agent class sucks. So you're looking at, at guys that are probably underwhelming that are going to be placeholders more than anything. You're not going to get your point guard of the future this offseason unless there's a really unexpected trade to happen. But until we know what happens in the draft lottery, which is, what's today, the 12th? I think 10 days away, then we can't know how many picks the Bulls even have available to trade. Because with the protections on the picks that the Bulls gave Orlando... And with the Stepien rule, which means you cannot trade consecutive future picks until you know if you're keeping or getting rid of the pick this year, you don't know which years you can offer another team. So by making the Vucevic trade, you limited your number of picks by the Kobe White injury, which the front office could not have known about. You limit your trade assets. It's really tough for the Bulls to make a a huge move this offseason to really improve this roster. 
and that's with a limited time frame now because you want to try and win with Vucevic in his prime, primarily, you'd think. Okay, then if then you, Rick Camp, you get to assess the pros and cons of the pro named Derek Rose, a different player than when he was first drafted here. What would he? How would he fit? What would he do? Because if you're if you're right, the time is of the essence, and you got all these veterans. You have to have somebody who knows, who doesn't need to be brought along, weaned. You don't need a pacifier. Then what does Derrick Rose do for you on this Bulls team of the Levine Vucevic Bulls? He provides a secondary playmaker to Zach Levine, he, which is very much needed. Uh, his decision-making has improved from his first stint in Chicago, which is really good. It's not great. It's not elite necessarily, but it's better than it was. And the biggest thing, too, is does his shooting remain what it was this year? Was this an outlier season for him shooting-wise, or does his shoot his three-point shooting maintain? Because there's more to his game, obviously, than the three-point shooting, but in terms of keeping space for Vucevic in the post and for Zach Levine to drive, and quite frankly, for Derek to drive himself, you need teams to respect him from the three-point line. So those are big questions, and his defense is okay. It's not, it's not great. It's, you know, it's hard to do with much worse than Kobe White was doing for much of the season. So there's a, it, it, Derek Rose would definitely be an improvement, but enough to catapult the, the Bulls to necessarily the next level, whatever that is, if that's for sure play-in team. I don't know if that's enough of an upgrade, but that's the type of upgrade you're looking at in this season, probably. If it's Derek Rose, Zach Levine, and Vucevic, none of whom are known for their defense, can you win? Can you hope to win? Can you do anything when when three of your five, when 60% of your players are disinterested or unable to play defense? I mean, the biggest thing that can happen to the Bulls this offseason is Patrick Williams' development okay. in terms of understanding what he has to do on this team in terms of being a little more aggressive offensively and then just understanding defense a little bit better because he's certainly got the skills defensively and he had great moments defensively this year, but he's going to have... He's going to have to shoulder the load again in terms of major defensive assignments. So maybe it's not fair to expect him to take too big of a leap offensively when you consider how much he's going to have to do defensively. But he's their lottery ticket at this point to have a chance to get a real dude. And I think it's within his range of outcomes that he can be that. But it's obviously really small. I think more often than not, Patrick Williams is a really good starter that's a really good role player, but he's not a star. I think that's his like most likely outcome, and that's okay. But if he's able to take an extra step or two in the next couple years, that could be where the calculus for the Bulls ends up changing to where you say, okay, this guy is a third star. So while Vucevic and Levine aren't superstars, they're not the dude, maybe Patrick Williams developing gets them to a point where they're a consistent playoff team and kind of stuck in the mediocrity in the middle of the east and just hope for maybe a lucky break in a given year or something to happen to where they could take advantage of a situation and become a better team but i think the the ceiling is capped on this team when you make the vucevic trade because he's really good but he's never going to be elite and i think your defense gets capped when you have a center that's not very good defensively okay i can't wait to 
Till next basketball season starts when they don't guard anybody. Did I hype them up about. for you? Yeah, boy, this is great. I can't, I can't wait. Patrick Go Bears! Williams is gonna guard guard everybody. Yeah, Go the Bears, Bears were the Bears were out there yesterday. The Bears were out there at Wrigley. We will talk about the uh, the Bears quarterback, and we'll we will talk. We'll take a break, and we will come back with Patrick Finley, the Sun Times, to talk about what we learned this week from whatever it is the Bears did when they put their players out there. I'm Steve Rosenblum. He's Rick Camp in for Mark Rohde on Saturday Suckage, Chicago Sports Radio, 670 The Score. Caught one or two deep balls from him, and uh, the very first one that he threw up to me, I was smiling mid-route of just seeing the ball in the air and just how, where it was placed. And um, like I said, man, he's, he's very accurate with his ball, and he understands where, where exactly where he wants to go. That is Darnell Mooney, Bears receiver. Smiling as he runs past everybody, waiting for the latest Justin Fields pass to settle into his arms so he can get into the end zone and the Bears can win the Super Bowl. Something like that. I'm just connecting dots in a big way here. I'm Steve Rosenblum. He's Rick, on, baby. Yeah, yes, he's Rick, Rick Camp in for Mark Rohde on Saturday Suckage. We welcome back to the show from the Chicago Sun-Times. Patrick Finley, he covers the Bears. So... Have you made your Super Bowl reservations because Justin Fields is here, Patrick Finley? You know what? It's June, so sure, why not? Let's uh, let's say I made my Super Bowl uh, reservation already. <laughs> yeah, you know, God bless me. There's something to write about in a voluntary mini camp practice, uh, and uh, he is certainly what everybody in Chicago wants to hear about. Uh, you know, this is it's all a little silly. Probably to get too hyped up about what he's doing in a practice uh, in which, you know, exactly one decent Bears defender is actually in attendance. But but it's more fun than we it's more fun than we thought we were going to have before the draft. Let's put it out. So how is the conversation it just from just more reading quotes than anything? It sure feels like the conversation around fields is that he's different, and if you need the different with, like, the snorting emoji after it, if we're, you know, talking in Twitter, uh, of, <laughs> like, uh, the conversation on him feels much more stable and, like, actually believing this versus with Trubisky, where it seemed like a lot of it was just so much more projection and trying to convince ourselves that this guy could be a thing, that Justin Fields just feels more tangible, is that, it's mini camps, but playing itself out at least to the point that uh, that you can judge off of mini camps where defenders decide not to show up. <laughs> yeah, no, I'll buy that. You know, part of it is that you know Justin Fields. Let's face it, was a much better college quarterback than which Trubisky was. You know, with Trubisky, you're you know looking at what twelve starts in one year at North Carolina after he wasn't able to beat out the other guy for the previous two years. And in Justin Fields, you have somebody who was you know, one of the best two three quarterbacks in college football over the last two years. You know, just that starting point right there makes this inherently more substantial than the Trubisky argument. You know, in terms of what we see in a voluntary mini camp, you know, I'm not going to sit here and tell you that the Trubisky wouldn't have looked spectacular against second string defenders. He might have. Remember, he, you know, he was a good practice player. But just the way he carries himself, uh, the sheer size of Justin Fields, that's, that's one thing, that's probably the first thing I tell people when they ask how he looks is, He's just bigger than you think he is, and that's a good thing. Uh, those are reasons to be excited. He's big enough to cover 
two countries. The the um, Toronto Blue Jays in that ninth inning that they had against the White Sox earlier this week <laughs> where the White Sox were throwing balls away, the Toronto Blue Jays decided to troll the White Sox with the Bears quarterback. Their social media tweeted out, source, Justin Fields is not playing tonight. And this, of course, was over two throwing, two awful throws uh, episodes, two throwing errors by the White Sox. So that's making an impact uh, over two countries. And again, it is shorts and shells and you make of it what you want. But the idea that there are so many people, this, this feels so much different than the Trubisky draft choice may mean nothing may mean something. Does it buy Matt Nagy any more time, or does it force him to get Justin Fields out there for the Rams game? I think it probably buys him a little more time. I don't think Justin Fields is going to be out there for the Rams game. Or let's put it this way. If he is, uh, it's going to be a great problem for them to have. Um, you know, It's going to take him being undeniable throughout training camp uh, for him to even have a chance of starting that, that week one game. And if he is, and if Andy Dalton either struggles or gets hurt, I mean, that's your formula right there for him starting right away. I think it probably buys Maggie in pace uh, another year. You know, I look at it this way. If they're going to start the season with Dalton as the quarterback, you know, at some point mid-season, you know, maybe the maybe 60% of the way through the season, something like that, Justin Fields gets in the game. As long as he is exciting and promising, I think that that probably does do something for the projection of the team and for the careers of, you know, Maggie and, and Pace, you know, I, it would be a really hard argument to make, even if the Bears record was bad, um, that if Justin Fields comes in and is playing well, I don't know how you can sit there and say, okay, we're going to fire his head coach and offensive coordinator. I, I think that inherently this probably buys that. Just as we are all giving, you know, Ryan Pace credit for, being aggressive in the right way and going, at least as we as we picture it in terms of going up to get Justin Fields, it's you know if we can't judge you know quarterback player really much from a voluntary minicamp, you definitely can't judge offensive line play. And I know that like outside of Fields, that's my number one focus as the off season progresses and gets closer to the season with the possibility of you know a rookie left tackle and then either Jermaine Effetti or a rookie right tackle as well. Has there been any talk of, you know, projecting out an offensive line and how maybe having a quarterback that can run shouldn't necessarily mean let's give him an offensive line that will force him to run? <laughs> yeah, that gets back to the yeah, that gets back to the Trubisky thing where they wanted him to keep his eyes downfield so he could you know be a quarterback instead of turning him into a running back. Yeah, I mean you're right. You're dead on about the offensive line. Both the O line and the D line are really impossible to judge until you get them in pads. You know the fact that there's going to be Three preseason games this year is, is helpful, I think, when you're trying to find that right formula. I, would I be stunned if, you know, at some point in August or before camp, you know, they give another veteran in to compete for one of the tackle positions? I wouldn't. But, you know, as of right now, the Bears don't have that sort of money. They'd have to move, move some around. Uh, Kevin Jenkins is going to be really interesting. You know, there are people in, in the NFL who don't think he's a left tackle, you know, full stop. Um, the Bears do. The Bears needed to find a way to get some money uh, back on their on their books. So when they drafted him, you know that meant the end of Charles Leno. That was a killing two birds with one stone situation. 
I don't know whether the Bears are trying to force this a little bit or not, but, you know, good left tackles don't grow on trees. There's not going to be somebody there, uh, you know, for them to add, you know, but if a right tackle might make sense for them, uh, you know, that still doesn't fix the fact that, you know, the odds are that your left tackle in week one is going to be a guy who, what, he's played two games with left tackle in college and uh, has never played in the NFL before. If you're counting um, starters on defense and projected starters, it's what you see at OTAs are Roquan Smith and 10 guys named Mo. How much, if any, does this set back Sean Desai? I mean, it can't be good, right? <laughs> I mean, <laughs> uh, you know, let's put it this way. If you, know, if you got promoted to being the boss, in, you know, in any line of work, and if you're um, – if your employees didn't seem eager to, <laughs> to be around you, that can't uh-huh. be a good thing. A, a big picture doesn't matter. I don't know. Uh, probably, probably not. You know, provided that they all show up. There's a three-day mini camp or mandatory uh, mini camp that starts this week. Provided that all those guys show up and uh, don't get hurt, uh, I think that that's okay. I tend to think that some of these off-season, with all of the off-season stuff, voluntary or not. I mean. You know, you know, the first rule is don't get hurt, and the second rule is don't get hurt, and the third rule is don't get hurt. So there's a part of me that, that uh, thinks that, you know, just by not being on the field, those really important starters, whether it's Team Hicks or Khalil Mack or Robert Quinn or, you know, Eddie Jackson, you know, the list goes on and on, uh, you know, because they're not on the field, it means that there's no possibility that, you know, some freak injury happens, and maybe that's a good thing. Is it are, – are we overlooking maybe – the like the collective, whether it's observers, the Bears media, fans, just kind of overlooking the fact of while maybe in theory the Sean Desai uh, promotion goes back to more of a Vic Fangio style defense. Are we overlooking how much this defense is at least starting to get older, at least on the front, especially in terms of okay, maybe on the back end they're able to do more stuff like they did before, but in that front, especially the front four or really front seven, whatever you want to call it, outside of your inside linebackers, just how age is going to hit this defense. And it feels like it has to be coming soon because just banking on these guys being as elite as they've been in terms of Hicks, in terms of Mack especially, like at, at some point that's probably going to start to bite them a little bit, wouldn't you think? Yeah, you think so. I mean, the team Hicks is entering the last year of his contract. Uh, my guess is the Bears probably are going to want to pay him uh, what he thinks he's worth. So maybe they don't have to worry about picking on this year. Danny Trebase in the first quarter of the season last year was really bad and seemed to kind of play himself into shape. Um, but, you know, you can see some slippage there. I mean, guys, they don't, we don't know who their, you know, we don't know who one of their corners is going to be. We don't know who their slot corner is. And that, to me, that is what's concerning. You know, you know they chose uh, – uh, Kyle Fuller, uh, they chose to cut him versus Hicks because they thought that, uh, you know, Akeem Hicks could make whatever corner was back there a little bit better. And maybe that's true, but, you know, there's I mean, the list of potential candidates at that cornerback spot is not very impressive. Uh, you know, I would, uh, you know, I'm sure the Bears are going to try and upgrade that or at least keep an eye on the market. That's what worries me. In terms of age, I think Khalil Mack, uh, I, I don't want to bet against Khalil Mack. I think Khalil Mack's one of those guys that um, you know, just thinks about football 24-7 and keeps himself in shape 365 days a year. 
Um, you know, if you're going to bet on somebody fighting age, you know, Cleo Mack would be the guy I'd pick. Uh, I'm not worried about him. But, my God, I mean, Robert Quinn, we need to learn about Robert Quinn. You know, did age catch up with him? Uh, or, you know, was he just – I mean, he was terrible last year. And, you know, there are a lot of reasons why he's in a new system, he's in a new city. You know, he had some, you know, medical issues uh, during training camp. But, man, they are paying him way too much money for him to come out and uh, put together the performance he did last year. Is that age? Can that be fixed? That's a huge, huge question for this defense because if he is the Robert Quinn of two years ago, they're going to be a, a lot closer to that elite defense that you think of. Uh, and if he's not, it's going to be a lot of what we saw last year. And, you know, only everybody's going to be a year older and some of those guys are going to be a step slower. Being a year older and looking several years older is the problem. Patrick, really appreciate your time. Thanks for giving us your time today. Hey, thank you, guys. Have a good one. All right. Patrick Finley of the Chicago Sun-Times joining us, talking Bears football. Rick Camp is in for Mark Grody. Bears. Mark, uh, apparently somebody, somebody heard Mark. Somebody important listened to the show last week and heard him make too much sense. So he was sent to his room. And I was dinner. brought in. Yeah, and you were you were brought in, and you've already texted things. You've already made too much sense, so you got no shot at coming back. This is Saturday suckage, after all. We'll take a break. When we come back, what are you doing, Wagner? And it and it it brings us, as it often does, by the way, whether Rick's here or producing or a guest on the show, it often brings us to the nexus of sports and fats, and that's what we will do in What Are You Doing, Wegner, after this break. It's uh, Saturday Suckage, Chicago Sports Radio, 670 The Score. We get it. Attention spans just aren't what they used to be. Heads in social media and eyes on Netflix. But what do people do with their ears? Well, for one, they're listening to audio. Americans spend 4.4 hours with audio every day. Oh, and you want the proof? Well, you just sat through this ad that's now approaching 30 seconds. What could you say to a potential customer in 30 seconds? Let Odyssey put together a media plan tailor-made for your unique marketing needs. Advertise with Odyssey. Visit ads.odyssey.com. 